Yeah, Melissa, this is awesome. I just friended you on LinkedIn. I hope we can I be saw friends. it. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Melissa, you ready? I'm ready. All right, Ty, you ready? Who knows, man? Let's go. Let's have some fun. Timeout, Tyler. Who are we taking the timeout with today? Kevin, good to see you again, brother. Well, today, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, people in the 585, people where I am here down in Dallas somewhere, we have <laughs> Melissa James Geska, the president of U.S. Ceiling Corp and chairwoman of Builders Exchange of Rochester. Melissa, thanks for being on the show. It's always a delight for Kevin and I to meet leaders around there in y'all's neck of the woods. And I always like to start out with, where are you taking Kevin and I to eat today? It's it's 12.06 your time, so our, mm-hmm. our bellies are probably a little hungry. And if you could bring three people along with us, dead or alive, who is it? I need to know wow. you right now, Melissa. So we're going for sushi. I hope you like sushi. Ooh, all right. So I do. I love sushi, sashimi, chirashi, you name it. That's that's my jam. Um, and if we were to I were to bring three people along with us, dead or alive, Prince would be number one on the Prince list. Again. <laughs> Prince is number one on my list. He is just a genius of all geniuses. Carlos Santana would be my second. He is a shaman and a gentleman and just an amazing human being. Um, and I think I would take Maya Angelou as my third. Wow. Wow. Oh, lineup. Yeah. A whole lot of spirit, a whole lot of soul. Yeah. We're going to be grooving. It's going to be an electric conversation. Uh, it sure will. Maya has still one of the quotes that uh, really resonates. I know we, we keep seeing all these quotes, but her quote stands the test of time with me as far as people always forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you make them how feel. You make couldn't be more apparent in, in society and, and, and in my role and uh, what, I, what I found to be true as well. Yes. Um, all right. So we're going to eat some sushi. I'm, I'm definitely getting anything spicy. So the spicy tuna roll, sign me yes. up for anything that's got uh, a little extra kick to it. Mm-hmm. You shared a little bit about your music selection. If I had to say one song that you had to listen to the rest of your life only, what song would that be? Wow. That is a tough one because I am a music freak. Like I, every dollar I spend in my free time is spent on live music. So uh, probably why I bond with uh, our dear friend, Tom from El Siegel. So um, if I had to listen to one song, I would probably say uh, I'm going to go with Purple Rain, Prince. There is, that song has just got so much soul and heart and uh, so much meaning for me personally. So it's, that's that's what I'm going with. Never get sick it. of hearing. <laughs> Love it. I was just humming. Nothing compares to you over here. We can go. Oh. Add a Wait, which version? The Sinead O'Connor oh, version oh. or the Prince version? Because you know there's the Prince version. I okay. like them both. Really? I do too. Sinead did I, it justice. I was. I'm, I'm serious, proud of it. Man, I, I get I get grooving to that one. I don't know why. I, it just hits me in the yeah. chest. But. Yeah. Uh, her voice is just everything for me. Yeah, yeah, I, and she means it. I think like, like when yeah. you hear the, the 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 what the the just the verses are very simple, you know. But yeah. it's like, dang, you know. Yeah. But when you mean it, it, it matters. You know, it hits you in the chest. Um, Absolutely. But Melissa, I wanted to ask you. This is one of our favorite questions. You know, if you're, if we're driving down what five ninety, three ninety, or four ninety up there, and you have a billboard, what what is Melissa's billboard saying? For the Rochesterians to see on their way to work and on their way home every day. And you can't change your billboard. What's the message? I think for me, it would be truth always and in always. What do you mean by in? So truth always, meaning for all, you know, always doing it. And truth in always, meaning speaking truth and infusing truth in every aspect of one's life. For me, is important. And I think uh, we learned that lesson more and more uh, during the pandemic, how critical that that connection of trust is to resilience and to all these other items that a lot of businesses are now seeking um, to rebuild. I want to go back to music because I think it brings a perfect segue into um, I started to realize during fantasy football season, it's the only thing that I listened to in my car for about, what, four months um, and I started to realize myself that I wasn't listening to music any longer to and from work, mm-hmm. um, which actually had an impact on my mood overall. 
Do you find that very similarly that you need some of like reading or music in order to really find your groove, Melissa? Yeah, I think music for me is everything. So back, just to back up from my mother was a music teacher growing up. So mm -hmm. there was always music from the time I was born. So music for me just is a way that I connect to and center myself, but it's also a way to frame my outlook, my, my mood, as you said it. And I literally pick, I have a playlist for everything. So every major <laughs> event, my Spotify account has some of the strangest playlist names. You'll be like, what is that? But it makes sense because everything's situational. And I like looking back and reflecting on time stamps periods of time in my life. And so my playlists often tell me like, what state of mind was I in? What was I focused on? And um, sometimes it's, you know, a girl rock anthem. Sometimes it's, you know, the Stones or uh, Led Zeppelin. Or sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's jazz. Sometimes it's country. It's, it's very diverse, very eclectic. Um, but yes, very important. And there's not a time except for like my meditation time in the morning where I really self-reflect and get really quiet. There's not a whole lot of time that's quiet in my life. I'm either talking with people or there's music playing. Um, and usually I'm singing along and dancing along and having a good time. That's I love what you said about moods. Uh, every time we take a family trip now, we I have my old burned CDs, which is probably blowing some people's listeners' minds. But the graphics and the the names that you put on those CDs throughout life, or you could I could tell you what when I went through a breakup, when I went. Through, oh my god! All, the, the all those things. Remember the mixtapes when you'd make the mixtapes for your? Yeah, I really like that. You. Was that was the official love letter back in the day? Yeah. I was like, hey, I made you this sick mixtape. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I still do that with playlists, and I send them to people. That's and amazing. I also give you a very fun party game, which is kind of simple but not underrated. It's always great. So the add to queue, do you guys know about the add to queue game? No. Nope. So if we're sitting around a campfire, we have maybe, you know, 10, 15 people, we hand the phone around and we add to queue and it's a blind like playlist kind of mix or mashup. And so the people put their requests in and sometimes you get some really surprising stuff. And then you try to figure out like, who put that in there? <laughs> You know, and you can jump the line and you can play some games to try to throw people off, but you'd be surprised at what comes in the queue. And it's really a bonding and amazing uniting experience. People are like, oh my God, remember the song? And then they share their, their reflection about that song. And it's great. I love it. It's amazing how much food and music can bring us together. That's, that's exactly. Exactly. It's hilarious, Melissa. I've done that before on accident. I think it's funny how much pride we take in that pit, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, this is my time for my cue song, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's paralyzing <laughs> too. Like it's a big responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Some people pass. Like, I just can't do it right now. You know, I, I, and I, I love I, to infuse my guilty pleasure songs, like a good Britney Spears or a Justin Bieber <laughs> song in the next year. Like, wait, what? Who played that one? You, you like make it light. You know, it doesn't have to be super sentimental. You mean? That's right. <laughs> like sometimes levity is in order and needed. And that's a really great way to do it. So Millie Vanilli, <laughs> all day long pick it have a good time don't forget her don't forget my number was a jam and don't try to deny that you love that song oh i have a lot of guilty pleasure t swift is a high on my list but rihanna at the super bowl yeah my that, yeah she just absolutely that was probably one of the best super bowl halftime shows i've ever seen but she's the queen she's for a queen. reason too yeah she's a queen for sure <laughs> Well, Melissa, man, this is fun. I, I, I we, can, we can just talk about just talk about music and, all day, music all day long, right? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've actually been listening to a lot of motivational speeches lately, uh, mm -hmm. just to switch it up. And man, I get fired up at this desk, yeah. you know. But then I'll switch it over to my Chill Masters, Biggie and Pac, and you, you just get out of my way with some Ice Cube. But uh, Melissa, I wanted to ask you. I guess let's kick off a little. You know, I don't want to say boring business talk, but you know, it's what we do every day. Yeah. never boring with me. You'll have a good time. I, I, I can way. tell you that. Yeah, I can. I can smell you from here. This is good <laughs> stuff. Um, so how how did you get into construction? Can we start there? Like, like yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's in my DNA for sure. So I will share that my grandfather from Jamaica um, was known to be the carpenter, like the um, you know an amazing craftsman and. And he was often building churches and homes for people in Jamaica. And um, he also had a farm. So he was a farmer by trade, but he had a lot of skills. And, you know, one thing about Jamaicans, we always have 12 job months. So we always have a lot of work happening in our lives. And so went back with him. My father was an educator and principal, but also had always had a side hustle, was always flipping houses, investing in some sort of real estate venture, um, and was very much involved in the construction aspects for all of those ventures. 
And then uh, my now ex-husband had been in the industry for um, at least 20 some odd years. And uh, we met, I used to be in hospitality. So I used to run nightclubs and, and do restaurant management. And believe it or not, there's a lot of parallels there in terms of process and efficiency. And uh, I was able to, you know, get involved in the business because one of his clients suggested being, you know, a woman and a minority at that, a lot of opportunities in New York State. Um, I kind of just started investigating what that might mean and um, immersing myself in education. So learning about, you know, blueprint reading, learning how to estimate projects, learning about the various components and assemblies that go into the work that we do and um, started the business in 2001. Oh, so going on God. 22 years now. It's been a it's been a wild ride. <laughs> that is I want to kind of go back to that discovery phase. It, yes, there are business opportunities in New York State, but mm -hmm. but why construction? And I think it's probably to do more. I think with your 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 family and seeing kind of what comes of construction and the outcomes. Yeah, I think I've always had a comfort around that, and I I've always been I've always had a unique ability to have vision. And seeing what is what is possible, and and seeing what's not necessarily there, but what is possible through construction and and design. Um, so I think because I had that natural inclination and comfort, it was it was easy for me to see myself or pivot that way. Mm -hmm. But also I recognized construction is always essential, right? Mm -hmm. Like construction's never going away. Mm -hmm. um, and I was also very aware that the skilled trades were kind of. Um, not falling by the wayside, but in terms of the, the volume of people that were inv getting involved in the industry, I think there was an opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, quite frankly, there was a need and a demand. Um, and and, and to, to this day, the demand far exceeds um, the availability of skilled labor. So um, for me, it was just making a really calculated business decision on, you know, where I see the market demand, what I think I can bring that's unique to the mix. Um, and then I very quickly realized that construction was a, a tremendous platform. And for me, it's about workforce development and, and allowing others to gain, to gain economic self-reliance through learning skilled trades. And that's what I've been really basing my entire business on for the last 20 years. And I think it's also giving them the skills and the, the opportunity, um, but also it's the, the development that I'm sure you guys are doing every day by teaching them just tangible takeaways, just about financial literacy and wellness. And, and I think we, we don't view those as big things in a lot of corporations. Um, it's, it's, it's come to be expected that you're coming to corporation or corporate America or a business with general acumen, but we're not getting it in school. So I'm, I'm, I don't understand why it's assumed that most people already know this stuff. Um, yeah. But that's, it's, that's I think a great it's, point. Yeah. It's, it's a very layered um, and nuanced and it's grown organically. So we started the USC Academy in 2018 and it started from the concept of teaching people hard skills, you know, teaching them about framing and insulation and drywall. But we very quickly realized that the soft skill development mm -hmm. was a, a missing key component to, to creating a successful and engaged work, workforce. And so we started to teach about financial literacy. We started to teach about, um, you know, how to become better stewards of, you know, resources. So you have transportation issues. We're going to teach you how to improve your credit score. And then we're going to connect you um, with some opportunities to purchase a reliable vehicle so that you can get to work. Yeah. And so it, a lot of it just grew organically out of the needs of our business. But we started to see people through the lens of also potential leadership development. Mm -hmm. And so part of the academy was our excellence and in, in empowerment series that came from it which is an annual program. And we take people that show promise for leadership, but that have no leadership background. And we take them through a 12 month successive course where they're focusing on soft skill and um, hard skill development. So things like conflict resolution, things like uh, stress management, communication, um, how to work through scheduling issues and working with different personality types, learning about their own personality type. Mm -hmm. You know, how do they learn? Teaching them how they learn and then how they might connect with other people who have different learning styles. Um, so a lot of more soft skill development is really giving people the self-confidence in order to really see their own potential and then be able to invest in themselves and to continue to rise up that career ladder. I love that. And and the one thing I wanted to kind of go back to is um, you were talking about um, just identifying What's most important to them, these soft skills, I'm, I'm, I have to ask you as a leader, um, when you're looking to find new talent and uh, bring somebody on, what are you looking for? Do soft skills matter more than hard skills or do hard skills matter more than soft skills? 
for me, the soft skills all day. And and really it's about the commitment to, to wanting to learn. I can teach someone anything, but they have to show up with that willingness and that humility to be able to strip themselves down to, to build themselves up. And that's, that's not easy. And not everyone is suited for that. Um, I also think it's a matter of being, um, having the emotional intelligence when you're meeting someone to recognize where their strengths are mm -hmm. and recognizing that we all have different strengths, but that we can build an amazing team by leveraging each other's strengths appropriately. So putting the right people in the right seats is really an important aspect of that. And a lot of times I see behavioral issues or attendance issues, um, they have nothing to do with a disciplinarian issue or a discipline, a discipline issue. It's sometimes just a matter of someone just not connecting with the role that you have them in. And sometimes it's an indicator they're in the wrong seat. Mm -hmm. And so when I see those behaviors come up, I think it's just a really frank and direct one-on-one -on -one communication and, and a point of accountability to say, I expect more from you and you should expect more from yourself. And where's the disconnect? Why, why are you not showing up? Talk to me, you know, and, and sometimes it's those conversations where I've been able to have people like make a real pivot and, and really transform their own lives in that process. Dang. Well, Melissa, I was going to ask why, why U.S. suing Corp? And I think you're nailing, knocking that out of the park here. Um, well, the other thing I'll just stress is we, we take a very non-traditional approach and intentionally seek out um, what we call priority populations. So marginalized communities, people that do not and are not offered opportunities traditionally in the workforce or in, in, in the economy. And we target those individuals because we feel they're best suited for construction. The fact that they, um, they have the skills, they have the survival instincts, frankly, um, and, and the, the grit that it takes to be successful in construction. And so coming with that, we, I, we also have to bring, bring this sensibility as an employer that there's a trauma-informed approach that's necessary, recognizing that individuals that come from socioeconomically disadvantaged communities come with a lot of life experience and a lot of it's been really hard and um, they may need to have a different perspective or a different opportunity than someone that comes from a more privileged background. So it's really the intentionality around serving those in our community. It's actually become a tremendous marketing advantage. It's become a market differentiator for us. Um, and I think it's something that as we see, you know, the lack of skilled labor, you're seeing employers struggling with having to reinvent or reimagine what workforce looks like. You know, we're, we're now seeing employers that used to insist on four-year degrees to say, well, I guess I don't really need that. I'm going to, two years is okay. And maybe no education is now required, but we're really targeting people that are going to just show up. You know, so you're seeing that that entire transformation in our economy right now. And I think we've always been well positioned. So we're, we've really weathered that storm pretty well. I think because you're focusing really more intentionally on the barriers of entry into the workforce. And I think when you're focused more on the, the life itself of what, what's going on in life at home, um, because you're, you're, you're well aware that it bleeds over into their professional world and leads to construction safety issues if they're not really focused on what in that moment. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's interesting to hear, though, that you being bold enough and daring enough to be outside the box. And I think that some organizations just believe that we're going to return back to normal, I think, is this, this belief that we're going to have the supply of, of talent and, and skilled labor that we need. Um, I just don't see it happening. And clearly, you don't see it happening at U.S. ceilings either, um, no. which is why no, you guys are intentionally trying to find new labor pools. And I love that initiative that you have with those focusing on those marginalized communities, because I think most people overlook that as even a potential labor population. Um, but you guys, uh, it sounds like, are determined at developing talent um, and others are waiting for that talent to be developed and then poach that talent. Yeah. Talk to me about your retention. When you're teaching these individuals these life skills, but also giving them a career and an opportunity, your engagement and, and your culture and your, your, the feeling within the walls of that organization just has to be different. Can you touch on it a little bit? Yeah, it is, it is different. And it comes with the realism that that, that brings. Um, I think, you know, we, we probably have, so we have, so because of the, the, the willingness that we have to see individuals for who they are and separate their experiences from, from who they are, we believe in their promise 
um, and the opportunity for their promise. I think they recognize that that's special and unique. And so I think that we do have greater retention, you know, in, in our industry, it's traditional to see people, you know, in, in an organization for two to three years. And we have many individuals, I have individuals that have been with me for 15 plus years. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's when you take that individual approach, you take the time to meet someone where they are, help them see their own promise, show them a career pathway, and then give them the support that's needed to take them from point A to point B. There is a certain respect and, and loyalty that that earns. Um, there are people that are just, it's not going to be a good fit, right? And so what we also try to do is just be realistic in the conversation to say, you know what, we see promise in you, but we recognize we're not the right fit. And because I am the chairwoman of the Builders Exchange of Rochester, I have access to more than 500 construction companies who are all seeking people. Mm -hmm. So I do try to take the time to invest in trying to find that person a better fit if I feel as though it's just not a good fit for them with, with our particular areas of specialty. So. Mm -hmm recognizing good people deserve opportunity and just maybe it's not for us. Um, I think the realism is important as well as the optimism. And positive. And I think that creates the positive, positive atmosphere that you, you, you focused on, but it only is possible with that, that element that we talked about first, which is trust. And, and that's yeah. probably one of the hardest elements. Um, one trust, of the trust, but accountability, trust and accountability. And also the, we are fierce. We as a team are fiercely protective of our culture. Right. Yeah. And so Recognizing very quickly someone is not a fit is important to um, vocalize that both to the other person as well as to the team and to say, this isn't a good fit. We recognize it and we're going to purge because we really have to protect this organism, which is so special um, and being really protective of that. So a couple of my, I think culture is a living, breathing organism and, uh, or ecosystem of, of sorts. And, and I couldn't agree more that uh, the individual nature today is most important. Um, my, my question to that, right, because we know what we should be doing in a lot of scenarios and situations, it always comes down to time. How do you get make that a priority for your team so they continue to make that a priority to continue to carve out the time necessary to connect with those individuals to offer that experience? How do you get yeah, your I team think, to prioritize that? Yeah, so I think, I think it drives, you know, we have a, a huge, so U.S. Ceiling, our acronym stands for our values, and it's our, our corporate values are... Um, Inter intertwined in absolutely everything that we do. Um, and, and we put that at the forefront. And so when we're doing annual reviews, for example, we're, we're asking people, what corporate values do you most closely align with, right? And so what are you doing? What do you, how do you see yourself within the culture of the organization? So that sets intentionality around people self-identifying with your culture, but also holding them accountable to, okay, what areas are you gonna further develop or grow into that represent our cultural values? The other piece is we set time aside as a leadership team, you know, a two hour window every single week. An hour of that meeting every week is focused on working in the business and an hour of that week is working on the business. So making sure that we're driving cultural initiatives, making sure we're driving recruitment retention initiatives, um, and just making sure that we're allocating the time that's needed to make sure that the, the health of the ecosystem is maintained. Just love that you said it's a shared culture is a shared responsibility and that everybody's responsible for, for holding those values near and dear um, and protect them. Because I think when they see that what's, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander and we have this, this wishy-washy of values depending on your title or your rank and file within the business – that's when one plus one no longer equals two. And I need to understand the new rules of the board game that we're playing. Um, and that yeah, and I think it's been a tricky time post COVID for a lot of employers. I think I'll put myself in this category. I went through a period of time where I was so concerned about the lack of skilled people that I was more complacent or willing to accept bad behavior because it's a skill I couldn't afford to lose and a person I couldn't afford to lose. And I, I had to take a deep pause in the moment to just reflect on what am I doing, right? Like I'm, I'm allowing bad eggs to exist among my precious gems and they're changing my culture and, 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 and I'm allowing this. I'm, I'm almost condoning and endorsing this and that is the wrong value. And so I had to get beyond that kind of scarcity mentality to recognize, no, if, I, if, I'm, if we safeguard the culture and we continue to focus on the culture, we're going to attract the right people and we'll have more than enough of what we need. Um, and I did see a really positive shift. And so our, our word right now that we're fixated on is accountability. So in every aspect, whether it's, you know, our annual review process for employees, 
um, where we go through probationary periods. If someone demonstrates issues or violations of our company policies, we put them on probation and then we're evaluating them closely and we're checking in with them at 90 days. And um, so just the accountability piece to safeguard the values and to, to hold people accountable to living up to our standard um, has raised our own bar. And it's also allowed staff members to hold each other accountable because mm -hmm. they have such pride in what we've built collectively that they call each other out when, when things are not aligned. Uh, and that's, I think that's a really important distinction as well. Because that peer, that peer influence and that peer um, accountability, I think is even more meaningful than upper level management accountability. Big time. Yeah. And if they're involved in the process of designing future strategy or planning, and they're involved in that process, they feel more accountable to the outcome of, of what you'll hold them to. I, I love that. But I think it all started with your intentionality of shifting that mindset that you had of scarcity mentality versus almost like a feast or famine approach, right? And, and Yeah. And, and now we really look, who's an ad, who's an ad to our culture, right? Not just who's going to fit, who's going to bring value and who's mm -hmm. going to help us raise our bar. Um, mm -hmm. And so that is, that's, that's just a huge, a huge point that in a, a mind shift that was important to make. It's kind of amazing once you get those good eggs in there, how, how they make your business grow without even talk, saying a word, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's like that energy. It's, 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 it shifts the whole paradigm because I think when, when you have those, those people that come in and they infuse that excitement and that energy, they influence other people and other people rise to that occasion. And sometimes you have disruption where people may go away because they recognize they can't quite follow, right? They can't, they can't run that fast. They may not have an interest to, there's a misalignment at some point, but we are always learning, growing, evolving. And, and we have a culture that really emphasizes, um, we, we don't call them mistakes. We call them learns, right? So, so it's not a failure. It's a learn. And we really emphasize, let's take the time for reflection and it's not about finger pointing. It's about evaluating the process. It's about evaluating opportunities for personal growth, collective team growth, um, and also just process improvement and efficiency. Mm -hmm. And so because we have created that, people aren't necessarily a fear. They don't, there's not a fear of failure. There's not a fear of being called out or, or um, a, a fear of being ostracized or shamed for making a mistake. Um, and I've, I have to model that as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. I have to call out, like last week, I was away on vacation and I made a huge mistake for my business. I, I almost ordered an entire truckload of the wrong insulation, which would have been a ten, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of a mistake that I made. My, the person that found the mistake was a team member of mine. Just imagine the fear of, I have to call the owner of the company and tell him, you made a mistake of this magnitude. How comfortable <laughs> is that conversation, right? Yeah. That they sent that email, but I could hear, I could see and read between the lines in the email that they were feeling, they were feeling bad about it. Like they made the mistake. And so the first thing I did was, wow, I can't believe I screwed that up. I'm mm -hmm. an idiot. Mm -hmm. How can you help me? Right. Mm -hmm. And so then I empowered the people behind who caught the mistake to solve the problem for me. So I didn't need to solve the problem. They did, but I modeled, it's okay to make mistakes. And wow. And, and in the, in, in the wake of that, we changed our processes so that not only would I not make the mistake again, but no one else would have to make that mistake either. I, but I think that following that Toyota model where you're saying that you're not really pointing the finger that the, the process, right, Ty? I think you, you, you've you done a lot of research and reading on the Toyota model after we've had conversations with several leaders that um, have talked about it. Um, but the word that you said is empowerment. And I think trusting those closest to the problem to resolve that problem and giving them the tools, the the budget and the ability to, to correct those. That's how you create that continuously evolving environment to keep up with the evolving world that's happening outside the walls of the business. Um, and, and intuitively, you're always going to continuously improve that process to be more efficient and to have better outcomes. How do you. Yeah, and I think that was that was a huge shift for me. So, number one, I used to struggle with delegation. Um, until someone said to me, delegation is really about empowerment. It's not about asking someone to do something you're unwilling or unable to do. It's about giving other people power and coaching them. Mm -hmm. and, and also for me, the, the mind shift through my own coaching, because I've always committed to two things in my life, transparently, therapy and coaching. Mm -hmm. I'm always working on self. And it's not about, it's about me. It's about putting the oxygen mask on myself and also taking the time to reflect on what I need, what makes me the best leader that I can be, what makes me the best human that I can be. 
um, and just being humble in that ever evolving process. Um, and so one of my big coaching learns was the transition from management to coaching, coaching mm -hmm. team, right? And being able to create a business that can thrive without my daily involvement in the operations, right? And so for the last two years, I've literally been trying to, you know, exit from my position. <laughs> um, so like, how do I fire myself? By empowering other people to do the work of, you know, the yeoman's work of running this business successfully so that I can step away and do the things I'm most passionate about, which may be property development or people development or, mm -hmm. you know, business development. And, and those really are the things that energize me most. But it's almost you keeping that. Now, the question that I think the audience will have is that I, I required a Tyler White in my life to help me identify my strengths, right? Because uh, of that uh, validation, I would say, is what I, I look to others to validate my value, um, and just tell me, I guess, what I was good at, because uh, because to your earlier point, before we kicked off today's interview, have your give yourself some grace sometimes. I think is is really what we can tell ourselves because we can be pretty darn hard on ourselves um, and really focus on more on our weaknesses instead of our strengths, and then we can find ourselves in a position to your earlier point that we don't really want to be in. It, it, it's not a strength and. But sometimes we feel trapped in safety of having a job first comes, uh, I guess, as a priority, um, because that's what we've been conditioned from our parents to think that yeah. your career security is put all that other stuff aside, that is most important. And that's something yeah. that I definitely was taught throughout life as well. So my, my gauge and barometer on that, Kevin, is how's my energy? Yeah. How's my energy doing this activity? How's my energy as I go through this process? If I feel drained and, and dragged down or I'm procrastinating a lot, chances are I'm not operating within my strength. And that's something that I should be figuring out how to delegate or how to, to find someone else who's a, who can champion that, ish, that, that initiative. If my energy is super high and I'm like jazzed and it doesn't feel like I'm working and I like look up and it's eight hours after I started the day, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I've, I'm really in the zone. Yeah. And not every day can be like, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but I really try to prioritize my time spent around those high energy producing activities because I do feel as though I am in the zone and that's where I want to be. I, I want to operate in my, in my power zone. And it's also recognizing among my team, when do I see them struggling or challenged or down and, and trying to gauge their energy? So I think it's about for me, self-reflection and self-awareness, but also, you know, awareness of, of others and, and the emotional intelligence about reading the room and being able to distinguish between a bad day or a bad moment and an issue or a slump or, or something that needs some attention or direction. Mm -hmm. It's like meditation, right? When you, when you, when you're in the zone, it's like, wow, I can't believe that went so fast. And then yeah. same thing, you know, it's like the dang I'm sun's down, dude. And I'm still cruising, you know, <laughs> I'm a, I'm an energy freak. Most, I always yeah. like to know how people are feeling, how they're feeling, how you feeling like that. You know, I don't really care what yeah. you do for a living, but how the heck are you feeling like that? It's kind of like what I'm after, but you, you mentioned, uh, I have a couple of things over here. I had coaching over here written down. Like, so soft skills, right? I just wanted to ask you this real quick. Is it, so I think it's always awkward when you have to coach someone on soft skills. To me, it's like, dude, you're not doing like normal living behavior, normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how, how do you approach that? Because I, I run into that quite frequently. And I, I use other people as examples, sort of. I'm like, well, this person, <laughs> the person knows I'm talking about them. What do you do <laughs> so when you talk in soft skills with, with folks? Yeah, no, that's, that's a real, that's a real challenge for me too. I think, I think with anyone, cause you're trying to, um, you're really, tr so a true, in true story, we went through, I went through a time where I needed coaching on my soft skills, right? So when I was going through some of the, the growth periods of my business in construction, I was coming across um, a lot of uh, really tough individuals. I felt like I was having to argue a lot. And I felt I had a chip on my shoulder quite a bit in terms of do I belong being a woman? Yeah. I felt like I had to work harder, be smarter. Um, and that came back, they came across very combatively at times in a very argumentative way, right? And so it was a dear friend that brought it to my attention. And she said, we need to launch the softer side of Melissa campaign <laughs> because how you're showing up in this business environment does not map to who I know you are as a human being. 
Wow. And if those two are not aligned, you're not authentic in your life and you're not authentic in any of your experiences. And that was like, wow, huge moment. So what that looked like for me, I had to get really quiet and I had to reflect and I had to seek uh, input from others. And I went to some trusted people who I knew would speak truth to me because it's also difficult as a leader to have people speak truth to you. Um, had people speak truth to me. And then I went on the, a tour where I literally confronted um, clients or confronted myself in, in the midst of clients where I would walk into meetings and just humble myself and apologize and say, these are the behaviors that I know I exhibited in, in relating with you. And that's not how I want to show up. And so I'm showing up here to be vulnerable, to say, I'm sorry, and also to fix and mend this relationship so we can start a new moving forward, mm-hmm. right? And so I feel as though when I confront other team members, a lot of times I bring that story forward and I try to, again, model what that looks like, right? So I know you, John Smith, you're not showing up in the ways that I think you really want to or the ways that I know you can't. And so I want to talk to you. Is there some way that, how can I be, how can I help you? How can I be of support to you? Is it a challenging time you're going through? You know, just try to relate to the person, try to get them to confide what may be going on if it's situational. Um, and, and also just, I've, I've always invested in my team getting coaching as well. Um, I spend a lot of money. I had at least six executive level or management level people last year um, engage with external coaching for a full year commitment. That's and amazing. so investing in other people has paid dividends uh, 10 times. Well, and again, there's a lot of people that are taking just the same self-reflection that you had moving from management to to, to coaching or, or true leadership. It requires new skills, especially as generation changes, generation majority changes within the workforce. Um, we're always got to be continuously learning, especially in leadership, because people are changing all the time. And what you said is uh, humble myself, um, which I think is is that opportunity to then really self-reflect. But I would tell you that I found myself in a very similar situation, I think, before the pandemic, before I met Tyler, before all of this, is where I let the world tell me what I was supposed to be as a professional in that particular industry. And I think I heard you say the exact same thing, that you probably saw what behaviors were being modeled in construction maybe it's cursing like you said i hope i don't swear today but you're almost being conditioned on what the makeup of somebody in that industry is supposed to look and act like and the second that i figured it out correct authentic for you yeah and the second i figured out that i was always changing who i was i was relatively a chameleon on the other side of the table always changing who i was in the vision that i thought that person wanted me to be or or look but the second i stopped the acting and met Tyler White, who was unapologetically himself from the second that I talked to him, I realized that my superpower is only being myself. And when we are in aligned, you're right. That's when the superpower actually is having an effect on others when they're not. Absolutely. It's, it's confusing to other people. Like you're saying that they know you on both sides of those, your personal and professional world. I fought so hard to separate them. It was silly. <laughs> At yeah. The end of the well, you hit it right on the, right on the head there because we try to contort ourselves to be something that we're not and how much energy we investing and in trying to show up that way when it's inauthentic. And it's like, it's, it takes so much more effort. Exactly. So what I found was like this liberation of like, Oh my God, I can exhale. I could be myself. And not only can I be myself, but others are really receiving that. Well, like I have better relationships now and I've fostered more respect and I've had more opportunities come my way because I just aligned with my authentic self and I present myself in that way. And that's why my statement to you is truth and truth always and in all ways. It's a reminder to myself to live my truth and to align my life and my purpose in all the things that I do. Do you think finding yourself allowed you the opportunity to become more vulnerable? Because that's Tyler and I's obsessive word is vulnerability because it you can only truly build a human connection with somebody when you are vulnerable um, yes. and you're sharing. Yes. You finding yourself, did that allow you the ability to be more vulnerable, to build those trusting connections and relationships with your teammates and friends? Yes, exactly. Um, for me, it's it's being vulnerable. Um, so I, I will share with you guys uh, vulnerably that I am a survivor of sexual abuse as a child. And that was something that I came to terms with in my twenties. And, but it's something I'm very vocal about because I found 
such an ability to serve others and to allow others to heal from that level of trauma or, or any level of trauma or, or own their own experiences in ways um, that don't diminish them because they're not victims. And so I think that really, when I did that, I felt really empowered to be vulnerable because I saw it as strength uh, and, and, and an expression of strength and an expression of love mm -hmm. um, and an interest of connecting with other humans. And so I've always um, especially since that softer side, the softer side lesson integrated that personal practice into my business practice. I think that was another pivotal time in my, in my life path. And so, um, now I just feel like I'm, I'm just really stepping into who I am and who I'm meant to be. And I'm also open to learn and grow and receive the feedback to continue to evolve and grow. And that only comes through vulnerability. It does. And what would you said being vulnerable about going to therapy? Because that's how yeah. you normalize mental health. It's okay yes. to talk about mental health in these environments, but people have to admit that they are having an issue first in order yeah. to admit that they need services. Um, yeah. So normalizing mental health and talking about it and you being transparent that you too go to therapy, I think is probably eye-opening for a lot of uh, individuals that are on your team. Yeah, I mean, I'm very open. I'm, I'm almost open to a fault. People are like, stop sharing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I got to go. I got a therapy session. Or, hey, I forgot my happy pills. Can you help me go get my happy? I tell my assistant, I forgot my happy pills. Can you go pick them up? At the, at the, yeah. I mean, that's just, we have to own that. Just yeah. what do I need to be great? And I'm okay with that because we all need something. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's awesome, Melissa. And who knows how many folks you've helped out that you don't even know, you know, just by, by vocalizing that. And and I don't know, I think that the more we help others, the more we find ourselves sometimes. It's kind of the opposite of what I always thought until I experienced the same way thing in a, another. Well, you know what that, that did too, Tyler, is it created moments of levity where people then feel I'm approachable. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, I felt like when I'm isolated or they put me on some pedestal or some island, like, I'm at a loss. I, I'm not, a, they're, they're not coming to me with mistakes. They don't feel comfortable telling me things I need to hear. Like I still, I still have to be clear that I am a point of authority and I am a point to be respected and I don't want to be a peer, but at the same time, I need to be approachable and I need to be human and real and seen that way. And so that's why I've always felt owning my mistakes, owning my experiences and owning my uh, personal journeys and, and learnings has been so important. Isn't that awesome? Like, uh, like the, the, if I wrote a book the first chapter would maybe be about that. And people are always like, how do you get people to say that stuff? And I'm like, just tell them what you suck at, man. Like, <laughs> what, what you're not great at. And all of a sudden they tell me whatever, you know, that their first, their first, who was the the other day, he was a, super senior software developer he ended up telling me he he dumped his pants because he ate taco bell it was he ate taco bell for his first meal in america and i'm sitting there like typing this in my notes and people are like how the hell are you you know it's just whatever you think <laughs> that man let it out and people start telling you stuff you know it's so true. that was it's just so like on tuesday that's like how my tuesday went you know it's like uh, as a leader when you admit you suck at something you also give someone else a position to shine right because yeah. that's maybe their super skill <laughs> Now you're like, good, I suck at this. You should do that because you're really great at it. And now I don't have to do the thing I suck and they get to do the thing they love. It's, okay. it's so backwards, but it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can't tell you how many leaders I've worked for or people I've worked with that were leaders that had this like fake persona of like, I am perfect, mm -hmm. right? And then something happens. It's this fall from grace moment where it's like, <laughs> Really? I knew that you were a weirdo, but now I really know you. But I just wear my weirdness on the outside and the outside. Yeah. It's always present. So yeah. nowhere to fall, right? <laughs> But I think I think it's I think it's wearing your heart on your sleeve that people are able then to connect just like your values from a performance based perspective. Nobody likes getting a final report card with just numerical values again to a game that they may or may not know um, because the rules are not always explained in a way that they understand. But the values is that ability to connect more emotionally to something that um, they can go to a point in their life. To your point. Um, that that was shown or that that they know that that value uh, rang true with uh, maybe a conversation that they had with a customer. Um, one of the things that I, I, I wanted to ask, because you, you mentioned it kind of um, before you were a CEO, um, talking about being more in hospitality and clubbing, mm -hmm. and you really were putting on a show for people and humans at the end of the day. 
How much did that help you with your leadership position? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, keep in mind too, it's part of my humble journey, but I became a mom at 18. So wow. I had a, I was working wow. like three jobs with this wow. little human being and responsible for that. So my, when you said clubbing, it made me laugh because I was like, it was the least glamorous time of my life because yeah. I had this young person I was responsible for and I was just working my tail off. So, um, but, but I think what, what the, that industry taught me is the importance of uh, servant leadership. And mm -hmm. so really keeping service at the, at the foremost center of who I am and what's important to me, um, you know, no greater lesson than that. And I just love to create memorable experiences for people. Like that's my other superpower. And so I'm a really big vision. Like I threw myself a wedding for a birthday party last year, like literally <laughs> it was called LOL live out loud. Wow. And it was my post COVID celebration. It was, I had just, I'd finalized my divorce a year prior. Uh, for the first time in my entire human experience, I was responsible to no one but myself. Wow. And was that scary? I, it was or not I spent a good year in transition like dealing with the scariness of it but what I realized is I love the peace the peace of just being still and having like the absence of chaos the absence of stress the app and, and not all that's not always possible but for the first time my my home was my oasis mm -hmm. and so to to be in that was just so transformative for a, a full year so I didn't drink for a year. I lost 45 pounds that year. Oh my God. I like, it was just about making me whole and complete and really feeling all the feels and not turning away from that. So this party was like my coming out party. <laughs> um, and coming out in the sense of just living my life and just being who I am and celebrating who I am and how I, how the journey that I've had and where I am at this point. So, I mean, I had, drag queens come and I had these big elaborate costumes and just great food and this live band that's just incredible and yeah, I had all of my awesome. friends it was at the penthouse on the top of like the highest building in, in Rochester on East Avenue and it was like it was just extra it was so extra but it, it was wonderful and it was the most memorable thing so people are still talking about this party and and whether it's a party or a dinner or you know a meeting I do that with meetings. When I go to client meetings, I bring these like elaborate cupcakes, right? Number one, people operate better with sugar, especially at <laughs> any time after between 12 and three, if you bring yeah. sugar, you're a hero. Yeah. And you have their undivided attention and people then look forward to you coming to their, to their meetings. So especially client meetings, I'm always bringing some sort of thing. And I learned that from a sales guy in the service industry who used to show up and he would bring like treats or little small tokens and gifts. And I was like, where's Frank? It's two o'clock on a Wednesday. Like, <laughs> I need Frank? that sugar. <laughs> I need you, Frank. So he created this codependency that was really important in the selling relationship. And I loved it. That's um, so yeah, so just just making people feel seen, heard, special yeah. um, is something I learned in, in the service and hospitality industry. And I carry that forward both personally and professionally. Same, same here. Cause I was a bartender and a waiter and uh, your tips and how, how much you performed or how well you did was based on their experience and, and putting them almost at the center of the universe at that point. Best job I ever had bartending. I miss it. Me, and me my too. favorite part about bartending was when I was like in the weeds, like six deep looking over to the people I know I can't get to. And for like 15, 20 minutes, me like, dude, I see you. Yeah. I'm coming back. Yeah. And I'm going to bring you the best damn drink you ever had. <laughs> right. I instantly made a friend and they would probably wait 40 minutes for it. They don't really care because yeah. they're seen, they're heard yeah. and they feel acknowledged and respected. Yeah. And Isn't value. that all we want as human beings? Like exactly. Responses. It seems yeah. relatively simple. Listen to value and heard. I think that's relatively easy, but um, we make it hard. So we Tyler, make it that would be my chapter. My chapter would be everything I needed to learn in life. I learned by bartending. Big there time. You go. <laughs> That's and it helped me talk about emotional intelligence and trauma informed. You're you're dealing with a lot of trauma with individuals that were the first ones to open the bar and the last ones to shut it down. Everybody had kind of their own walk story. And that's what I learned is that everybody kind of has a lesson to learn if you listen to their story. You have to ask yeah. for that lesson. And so and one of the things I wanted to say too is um 
you talked about time and, and, and that year that you had, I think it's, that's the time that I, I, the pandemic, I know a lot of people lost and I'm not trying to make anything light of, of the pandemic. It was the greatest opportunity for me because the world forced me to take that time to find who Kevin was. That's that, so important. Yeah, it is. And but, I just, I hope people took that time, Kevin, because I feel like we were presented with an opportunity, right? Like how we use this time is totally for us to decide. And I feel like people did one of two things. People either went way off the deep end and like gained all the weight and like got sick or other people like that was their time to shine. And, yeah. and I realized that there's a lot of people that struggled with the isolation of that. And, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of mental health issues around that. I'm not minimizing that at all. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, yeah, there was an opportunity. And I think that's, that's so true of just life in general, right? Like, is it the lemons or lemonade kind of, you know, decision yeah. and, um, I think, I think I've just always tried to find what, you know, take, take a stock, take a moment. What do I need to learn from this experience? Oh, yeah. And what do I need to do? What, how do I take this forward? And I love how you said looking at failure, right? Failure is never final unless, unless you didn't learn anything from it as, as, as a lot of people have shared. I, this has been an amazing conversation. I would love to listen to Prince all night, and uh, and 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 maybe 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 Tyler and I will get an invite to that future wedding, um, the, the the next coming out party. But uh, yes, Melissa, this was fantastic. This was awesome. Um, maybe really, you're really a star. That's the song you should listen to, Kevin and Tyler, because right. you guys right. are stars. You you oh, did you man. do really well at your job. This was a really fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. I and you're like both so energized. I love this. This is the like this is you know addictive for me. So thank you for Good. sharing. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to bring you back because this is not our day job. This is our passion project because yeah. um I think exactly what the self-discovery that Tyler and I went to. Um I was title shy. I always put CEOs, CFOs on their own pedestal. They have different problems than I have, and they don't care about mine. Um until we did this show. Uh, was the opportunity that I too and then saw leadership as humans and that we can build relationships with and we actually have more in common than we than we like to think. It's just how we tend to overcomplicate things, I think, in life. We take ourselves way too seriously. And Tyler and I like to have a lot of fun. <laughs> and when we get in conversations, we it's fun to see how um, crazy they get when you ask them, you refuse to ask them what they do for a living. It's like they don't know how to go through the rest of the conversation. It's like, wait a minute, you're not asking me what I do for a living? <laughs> well, and I, that's one of my favorite questions to ask them when I first meet them, tell me about yourself and see yes. how they answer, right? If they're like, I'm a CEO or I'm a, okay, well, that doesn't tell me anything, but yeah. good for you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank That's you so hilarious. much for being a guest on the show. I think, Melissa, you're not even aware of probably the magnitude and the impact that you're having here in Rochester and in the greater community. And that's what I'm appreciative of. Great leaders like yourself taking these opportunities to, yes, um, help others, but also seek it as an opportunity to grow your impact rather than just influence in, in, in a leadership role. So thank you for thank all that you. you're doing. And thanks for thank saying Thank you for yes giving me the, the platform to help others. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Yeah, Melissa, this is awesome. I just friended you on LinkedIn. I hope we can I be saw fun. it. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs>